0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Old Testament from 2nd Chronicles 2nd Chronicles chapter 26 and the story here is told of one of the kings of Judah king Uzziah and this is important background for our text this morning so we'll read several verses of this chapter together chapter 26 we'll begin reading verses 1 to 5 and then we'll skip down to verse 16 It's the end of the chapter. Hear the word of God. Now, all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem whose mother's name was Jacoliah Je- of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord God, made him prosper. We're going to skip down to verse 16. But when Uzziah was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were eighty priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, "'It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord.' But for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense, get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed, you shall have no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord, beside the incense altar." And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead he was leprous, so they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out, because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house, because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And then Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz, wrote, So Uzziah rested with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of burial, which belonged to the kings. For they said, He is a leper. Then Jotham, his son, reigned in his place." Our text this morning comes from the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. So we'll read that as well. Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 7. This is right at the beginning of Isaiah's work as a prophet. Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, the Lord of hosts, and one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged." Following the sermon, we'll sing together from hymn 38, hymn 38, stanzas 1, 3, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know that moment when you've lit a massive bonfire not a little fire pit in your backyard, but a, a really big pile of, of wood and leaf matter. Well, the flames slowly start to crackle, and then especially if you've put fuel on it, they, they whoosh, they whoosh up, and the, the pile is suddenly consumed by fire. And you have to maybe step back a few paces. You might even have to turn your face away from the heat and as the fire gets hotter well you have to go even further back don't you the human body cannot endure such intense heat maybe this helps us to imagine in a small way how Isaiah felt when he saw the Holy One Isaiah cannot bear the intensity of God's holiness. He's so sure that he'll be consumed, that he will die. But it is in this vision, where Isaiah is confronted with the holiness of God, that he also experiences God's mercy. This is the message we will hear this morning, that our God, the Holy One, is also the merciful one. There's three aspects of the text we want to examine. Firstly, God's overwhelming holiness. Secondly, our recognized uncleanness. And finally, God's merciful forgiveness. Isaiah tells us that he had his vision in the year that King Uzziah died. Why this detail? Is it important? Well, it is, especially when we know a little bit about King Uzziah. Uzziah was, for the most part, a good king. Second Chronicles 26 tells us that Uzziah was prosperous and, and strong. The kingdom of Judah had not had such good days since the time of Solomon. The borders were expanded, tribute was flowing in, everything was good. But Uzziah became proud, and he did something that was strictly forbidden Uzziah went into the temple of the Lord to offer incense. Why is this such a big deal? Because God had said that only the priests could enter the temple sanctuary and offer sacrifice. But Uzziah disobeyed. And he paid the price for his pride. He became a leper. And he was forced to live outside of his palace, separate for the rest of his life. He was even buried separately from the other kings. And for the remainder of his reign, his son Jotham was a regent in his place. But Uzziah's sin was not the only problem at this time. In 2 Chronicles 27, verse 2, we read that even though Uzziah was a good king, The people of Judah were still following corrupt practices. The people did not do what was right. There was a serious issue with their hearts. And so when Isaiah tells us that he had a vision in the year of King Uzziah's death, we need to realize that this was a dark, dark time. King Uzziah had been a king of hope. A king who seemed like he would restore the greatness of Judah. But now a King Uzziah's reign had come to an inauspicious and a shameful end. His leprosy defined his final years leprosy, which made one unclean, made one unholy. And for the last number of years, this shame had hung over the land of Judah. And the unholiness of Uzziah, it's, it's reflected in the unholiness of the people too. People who were corrupt in their sin. So everywhere that Isaiah would have looked, there was unholiness. An unholy king made so by his leprosy, and an unholy people made so by their sin. And it's in the midst of this unholiness that Isaiah sees something that words cannot even really describe. In the midst of this time of, of despair and uncertainty, I Isaiah sees something that gives him renewed hope. What did he see, or rather, who did he see? Verse, verse 1, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, And the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah saw the Lord. Think about that for a moment. Isaiah sees a vision of the King of heaven. But Isaiah does not tell us what the Lord looks like. The only description we get really is of of God's robe and, and really only the hem the train of his robe. If you've ever seen footage of Queen Elizabeth from her coronation, you'd know that she was wearing a a really long trailing robe that spilled onto the ground. And, And this is what is being described to us here. Isaiah is so overwhelmed with the awesomeness of seeing God in all his power and his might that all he dares look at is is the ends of God's robe. And all he dares to describe to us is, is the trailing ends of the robe of the king of heaven. What else does Isaiah see? Well, he sees that God is sitting on his throne. And this reminds us that God is the great king, the ruler of heaven and earth. And at a time of of the frailty of an earthly king, which has brought fear and uncertainty, the prophet sees the eternal king, who is perfect in all his authority and perfect in his might and in his power. And is the Lord sitting here alone? Well, Isaiah also tells us that he sees other creatures, these heavenly beings, the seraphim, And Isaiah describes them as having faces and and feet. They also communicate, they speak in language. And they have wings. Six wings each. Two wings are covering their faces. With two wings they're flying and and two wings are covering their feet. And these seraphim, they're, they're God's special servants, His attendants. They proclaim His praise and they do His commands. We need to notice something here, important congregation, that all creatures, even the seraphim, are dazzled and overwhelmed by God's holiness. Even sinless creatures, like like the seraphim, need to cover their eyes in the presence of God. None of us can look directly into the sun, for example. I don't advise you to try if you haven't. Our eyes cannot bear the brightness. And the seraphim are the same. They are aware of their, of their creatureliness before the Creator. And so they cover their eyes even as they cry to one another this song of praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of His glory. This is why they cover their feet and their eyes. They are in the presence of a holy God, three times holy. In the Hebrew language, it emphasizes things by repetition. And so here we need to realize that the holiness of God is being emphasized in the extreme. God is, is the most holy. He's the holiest And what does it mean that God is three times holy? Well, firstly, it means that He is completely unlike us. He is the Creator. He is perfect in every way. He is, we could say, completely other. He's completely beyond our human understanding and comprehension, isn't He? And because God is like that, there is no evil in Him. He is morally pure. There is nothing earthly, nothing profane about the Lord. Our holy God is above and beyond His creation. But the seraphim also sing that God is glorious. In fact, that the whole earth is is filled with His glory. And so even though by His holiness God is is far above and beyond creation, yet yet He is also deeply concerned and and deeply busy with with His creation. God is everywhere present and everything is, is being worked to His glory. And the whole world knows this. Creation knows who God is. This is why the doorposts of the temple shake at the sound of this song. This is why the seraphim cover their eyes. They know who it is that they serve. Do you? Do you realize who it is that you worship and serve? Where is your hope, congregation? Where is your hope when you see the unholiness of the world around you? When you hear the lies? When you see the immorality that's not only being permitted, but actually celebrated? When you see sin and evil embraced, when you see violence? We've all been reminded of that this week, haven't we? What's been happening in the Ukraine? Sometimes sometimes like for Isaiah it feels like we live in a dark time an unholy time. And we wonder how how will the church survive? Sometimes it seems hopeless. But we cannot let the world deceive us. We cannot let the world make us think that there is no moral standard. That there is no being who holds everything and everyone to account. No, we worship a holy God. Our God is the one who dwells in unapproachable light. Who no person has seen. He is the Holy One of Israel. But this does not make God distant does not make him unconcerned with what goes on in the world. No, our God who is is unapproachable, he made himself approachable. The Holy One became visible to us. And how did this happen? Colossians 1 verse 15, Paul writes that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Our Saviour Jesus, even the demons confessed Him to be God, to be the Holy One. You can read that in Mark 1. God the Son, so perfect in His holiness, He came down to us. He became one of us to make God known to us and to make us holy. As we see that even in this unholy and this inglorious world, Well, our God is working for His glory. The Holy One is working so that His creation will be holy to Him once again. He has not abandoned this world to hopelessness. And so when you are confronted with the unholiness and the sinfulness of this world, well, don't despair. We are comforted by the reality that we worship a holy God one who sits enthroned on high. The holy God, who, because of his holiness has made it possible in Jesus Christ for, for us to come into his presence again. Even when we realize just how unholy we are. That's the second aspect of our text that we want to look at. For Isaiah is not just ashamed before the holy one, he does not just feel embarrassed like we would if we arrived at a, at a dinner party in shorts and flip-flops, only to realize that it's a formal occasion. He doesn't just feel like he's the odd one out there in the temple. No, his response is fear. In fact, I think terror would be a better word to describe it. For what does Isaiah cry out, verse 5? Woe is me, for I am undone. When Isaiah sees the Lord, when he feels the earth tremble, he sees the seraphim and he hears the words of of their song, well, he begins to break down. He cries out judgment on himself. Woe is me. Isaiah knows. He knows that he faces certain Destruction. This is literally what he what he means when he says that he is lost. He knows that he's a, he's a goner. And why is it that Isaiah thinks this? It's because his eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. He is in the presence of the holy God. God in all his omnipotence, his power and his purity. And faced with with this, all Isaiah can see is his own unholiness. He says, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He knows that his lips are unclean. He knows that he's not even worthy to speak words of praise to God like the seraphim. Isaiah is utterly aware of his, of his wretchedness, of his sin. Isaiah has seen the Holy One. And this only brings home to him just how filthy he actually is. Isaiah cannot abide to be in the presence of God. He is so sure that he will be burnt up by God's holiness. And it's not only his own sin that he recognizes to be the problem, is it? He recognizes that he lives among a people also who have unclean lips. The people of Judah are delighting in sin. We saw that before. Previously in Isaiah 3 verse 8, the prophet has said, For Jerusalem stumbled, and Judah is fallen, because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord, to provoke the eyes of His glory. This is the people that Isaiah dwells among, people who do not recognize God as holy, who actually defy His glory, who are set against God. And Why is this such an issue? Well, because the Lord when he chose Israel as his people, he called, them, he called them to be holy like himself. In Leviticus 19 verse 1 and 2, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. But the people have forgotten this. Actually, it's worse than that. They... They willfully reject this. They enjoy living in their corruption. They revel in their sin. And you know what is interesting here? What's that? Isaiah, the Lord's prophet, he identifies himself completely with this unclean people. He recognizes himself to be just as unclean as the sinners around him. He, like the people, can only present God with unholiness. There is no help. There is no hope to be found in humanity. And this highlights how desperate our situation is. It highlights our sinfulness. And that's not a topic we like to talk about, but it's true. It reminds us that there is nothing worthy in us. When faced with the holiness of God, we see all our sin exposed. All our unworthiness. All our uncleanness. When, when faced with the holiness of God, all our vanity, all our delight in those things, we think are pretty good about ourselves. Well, they become nothing. Nothing any self-righteous pride that we have, that's nothing. God's holiness exposes every inch of the guilt, every inch of the stain of sin. Human beings, we have no right to be in the presence of God. And so here, In this passage, we are presented with our desperate need for the gospel. Do you recognize that about yourself this morning? That without Christ, you are are completely unclean. That you desperately need a prophet, a prophet who is clean, who himself is holy, who didn't need to be cleansed from his own unclean lips. We need one who can cleanse us from our sin. Someone who, though holy, can still identify with us, even in our non-holiness. Who can take our destruction, our lostness upon himself. Someone who can make it possible for us to come into the presence of God again, without fear. Well, praise God that we have such a prophet. We have our hope in Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. And because, and because He has come, we do not need to be paralyzed by terror when confronted with the holiness of God. When we see our sin, when we see our brokenness, we have someone we can run to. We can run to the Holy One, Himself. And that's the third aspect of our text we want to look at: God's merciful forgiveness. For that's really the message of our chapter, isn't it? The Holy One of Israel who cannot abide sin. He's the one who removes sin. But what does Isaiah do when he's confronted with God's holiness? Well, he just stands there. He can't do anything. He's unable even to cry out for mercy. But what does God do? The Holy One, he shows mercy. One of the seraphim takes in his hand a live call from the altar. This is not the seraph doing this of his own accord no the seraph is doing God's bidding and what does the seraph do with this coal well he presses it to Isaiah's lips Isaiah is cleansed cleansed from his unholiness and it's important for us to realize that this coal is taken from the altar there is an altar here in the temple and what would every Israelite associate with the altar? Well, offering. Sacrifice. The altar was the place where atonement, where the payment for sins was constantly made. Daily. The altar symbolized humanity's need for a substitute, for, for someone who could to stand in, in their place, stand in our place. You could take our uncleanness Instead of us. And so this coal from the altar, well, it comes from an offering. An offering for sin has been made here before God. And this is why the seraph can say these beautiful and comforting words to Isaiah in verse 7 Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. It's not the coal that has cleansed Isaiah. No, a payment has been made. A payment has been made at the altar. And the call is is signifying this. Because of the offering, Isaiah is cleansed. He is made holy. This is important for us to realize, beloved, forgiveness comes at a cost the holy one makes us holy he makes us acceptable before him only only by someone else paying the price for our sin someone else is lost someone else is destroyed in our place And who is that when the Old Testament rams and incense were offered? But we know that these only pointed forward to the perfect sacrifice. The only sacrifice that truly took away our our guilt and our sin once for all. That sacrifice was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Holy One Himself becomes our offering. In the first letter of John, we read John 1, 1 John 2, verse 1 to 2. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. It's a very big word. It's very hard to say. But it's an important word. It means that, that Jesus satisfies our debt before God. That Jesus reconciles us to God. Restores our relationship with God once again. And this is what is being portrayed to us in Isaiah 6. That forgiveness is possible. It is possible through the redeeming work of of God Himself. God, who because of His holiness cannot abide sin, well, He deals with sin Himself. In His mercy, God makes His unholy people holy. What does this mean for you this morning? It means that Every one of you who believes in Jesus Christ, who look to Him for help, you have your sins washed washed away. You no longer need to be terrified when you come into the presence of God. And you know those sins that haunt you, those sins from your past... Those things you still feel shame about. Sometimes you wonder, surely these make me unworthy to come before God. Even those sins are washed away. The Holy One has, in Jesus Christ, become your loving Father. In Jesus, we are forgiven. What mercy and what love! But it doesn't just stop there. Because of the work of Jesus, we are forgiven, but we are also given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is busy making us holy. Making us more and more like Christ. He's busy making us want to to love God and live for Him and to serve Him. What an amazing God we have. You know, in Revelation 4 and 5, it's a very interesting passage if you have time to read it today. John, the Apostle John, has a very similar vision to Isaiah. Again, there is the throne room in heaven. Again, the Lord is seated on his throne and a song is sung, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. But you know the major difference between Isaiah 6 and Revelation? Standing before the throne of God is the Lamb who was slain. Jesus Christ stands before the throne of God today. And because he stands there, because of his his saving work, we can come before God, before our King in prayer and worship. Isaiah was cleansed so that he could be God's prophet. So that he could bring God's word to his people. But you know, we've also been cleansed for a purpose. Because of Christ's work, we are also prophets. We've had our mouths cleansed so that we might offer praise and glory to God. That we can come into his presence again that we can proclaim his greatness throughout the world to all those who have not heard of him. That we can proclaim that his glory fills the earth. And how can we not praise him when we realize that our God is the Holy One? The one who has dealt with sin once and for all. The one whose glory fills the earth. He continues his great work of redemption and restoration. May the knowledge of God's holiness, of his glory and mercy fill your hearts this morning. And may we love to join the heavenly host in singing the song, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. To him be all praise and glory. Amen.